1 Corinthians, two more weeks. What I want to start with this morning is just a, a brief summary. That's the sermon title, Undivided. But a, a summary of these first seven chapters, if I can, very quickly. Here's what I think the big idea that Paul's writing about. And this is why it's so relevant for us. The culture is having too big an influence on the church of Corinth. Now remember, it's a brand new baby church. Christianity had never been there. So you'd expect that. And Paul's trying to encourage them, get a bigger view of Jesus and a bigger view of God. Brand new church, they're trying to figure this out. He's trying to tell them, the culture is impacting the way you live more than it should. We're supposed to be salt and life. We talk about being embedded in our culture around here. But do I think that might be an issue for Christians in 2021? Yes. I think it's been a challenge for Christians always. But in my estimation, that's the big idea of this book. So, the foundation, those first nine verses. All who trust Jesus have undergone a radical, life-altering experience. We realize we're sinners. We realize we're guilty. We realize we have no hope of being right with God except for Jesus. We get that God left the glory of heaven, became a human being, Jesus, the second person of Trinity, and died that we might live. Those first nine verses are packed with the foundation for everything that succeeds it, everything that follows. When we get who Jesus is, he becomes the center of our life. Then in verses 10 to 17, he gives the first sign that they're not living exactly like they should of Christ. You got some disunity. You're making celebrities out of, of those that are just messengers for the gospel. Paul, Apollos, Peter. You're living in a celebrity-driven culture. It's a good thing that we don't live in a celebrity-driven culture. I'm just telling you that that is not an influence on us. Is just, how? what's a celebrity-driven culture look like? Huh, I wonder. Anybody here that doesn't know the name Kardashian? Anyway, we'll go on. The wisdom, and then he unpacks it. The wisdom of the culture is completely different from the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God, when we were going through Luke, I suggested it's an upside-down way of thinking to the world. And those verses Paul is trying to unpack, where their lack of unity comes from, and then he's going to go on. And in verses chapter 3 to 1 to 23... You're not actually living as though you're being led by the mind of Christ. I love you. I like to think of you as Christ followers, but you are giving lots of symptoms that suggest to me, Paul is saying, is that that's where he talked about them being fleshly. And he's trying to help them understand again, you're following the wisdom of the culture of the world not the wisdom of God. And then he moves into this section where we're still, where he starts to give more illustrations. He started with disunity, and then he goes, you are arrogant. Chapter 5, some of you are more sexually immoral than the people in the world. And you think it's okay. You're not resolving conflict. You're taking one another to court. Jesus redeemed us and reconciled us to himself. He's not saying there won't be challenges, but he is saying we better figure out how to forgive one another and move on. Not being able to do that is not a good sign. 
and you're engaged in illicit romantic relationships. Again, he goes back to this subject, sexually immoral. Some of you think it's all right to sleep with prostitutes. This is not okay. You have a lousy view of marriage and singleness. Some of you are saying it's okay to sleep with prostitutes. Some of you are saying that a married couple shouldn't even have physical intimate relationships. You guys don't get what this looks like. Now, he has been unpacking this. He's talked about married people. He's talked about single people. He's talked about divorced people. Last week, Brian dealt with, he's talked about where you have one who loves Christ and one who doesn't in the marriage. They should stay married. And the one who's a believer, stay married, you may be able to influence that unbeliever. He's not saying in that text that if you just stay married to an unbeliever, that they or the kids will necessarily be saved just because you say there. He's saying you may influence them for Christ. Brian ended the sermon last week. You remember that? He's one of those guys. His wife was faithful to him, and he ended up coming to faith in Christ. Now, this is the section we're kind of still in. Now, stay with me here. We're going to finish this next week when we finish chapter 7. Next week, he's going to talk about engaged people. So far, I think he's dealt with every marital status except engaged. That's coming next week. But in the paragraph this week, he takes a slight little sidebar. The big idea is still the same. Find your identity in Christ. And today he's going to talk about religious or cultural issues. Don't let them become too important. And don't find your status in the things of the world. We're going to apply that primarily in terms of our occupation. May your identity be found in Christ. So Lord, as we go back to this text, ask that you'd point us to Jesus. We just want to see Jesus. Those of us here, those of us at home, we just want to see Jesus. Encourage us, Father, with your grace and with your love. And we, may we leave here a little more confident, with a little more peace, a little more happiness, because you have helped us to see your Son just a little more clearly. There's nothing better than the name of Jesus. Father, keep us focused. In Jesus' name, amen. Now on to the sermon. Quick summary of how we believe God created life. God created us to be happy. It is my deep, deep conviction. He created us to be happy, and God created the world for us. To enjoy. You look at Genesis 1 and people go on a lot of different tangents in terms of what's being said there. I think one of the key ideas of Genesis 1 is this. God created the cosmos for our enjoyment. I'm going to tell you, Orange County, 2021, there is more stuff for us to enjoy than any people in the history of the world. We got the beach, we got mountains, we got computers, we have golf. We have music. We have food. Guys, there is no limit to the stuff out there that God created that we might enjoy it. And then he created us to enjoy life in relationships with family, friends, spouses, uh, uh, neighbors, kids, all kinds of relationships, coworkers. He created us to be happy and he gave us all this stuff 
and people that we might have a happy life. Now, God created us to find our greatest happiness in relationship with himself. There's the source. There's the basis. There's the foundation of all real, lasting happiness. The almighty God who created this all for our enjoyment, we're in a personal relationship with him through faith in Christ. All our sins that would have kept us separate from that, they've been removed because of Jesus. How good is this? Now, you know what gets in the way? A bunch of the stuff that he gave us, gave to us for us to enjoy. And we start enjoying that stuff more than him. He gave it to us for our delight. But if you've ever hit a golf ball just clean, it is impossible for me to describe the joy that comes from that. Oh, and it can last for 10 seconds. <laughs> A whole 10 seconds, exactly right. Let's not abbreviate that. So here's the challenge of the world. Now, I want to tell you, if there's ever been a people that wrestle with this stuff that God's good to, it's us. I've spent extended time in Tanzania, in Haiti, and in Kosovo. These people who have not near the stuff, they have a happiness, it feels like to me in Jesus, that I envy now, who ought to be the happiest people? The people with Jesus and all this stuff. But it's tough. Because we got a bunch of stuff. And then relationships. We can make these human relationships more important than they ought to be. In our human relationships, and that's what he's been talking about here in chapter 7, particularly in terms of romantic relationships, marital status, our identity being found in that stuff can exceed our identity being found in Christ. He puts stuff and people in our life for our enjoyment. The challenge that everybody in the history of faith has wrestled with is enjoying the stuff and the people more than God wants us to wrestle, more than he wants us to enjoy. So are you ready finally to read the text? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. He's in this marriage generally with a slight sidebar, but the big idea is still the same, and to which God has called them. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain 
with God. So back to a big idea. I'm hoping you're familiar with it around here. We're not to find our identity and our contentment. We are to find our contentment and identity in Jesus, not in circumstances. Now, we're going to pull apart two he mentions specifically here. Marital status is what he's been talking about, and that's where we're going back to next week. But this week, he goes to Sargbar, where these guys are tempted to find their identity. First one, don't be too focused on religious, and I'm going to add here, cultural issues. Don't let some of these religious issues, some of these cultural issues, again, become more important than Jesus. I put up their vessel, and I'll talk about that from, from Dallas Willard, the treasure vessel. Dallas Willard argues the problem with much of the evangelical church today is we've made the vessel, the stuff about how we learn about Jesus, more important than the treasure, which is Jesus. And the things that we use, the vessel issues, to try and see the treasure, the vessel issues become really significant. Back to the text. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. God's got a plan. And to which God has called him, in case you didn't get it with the assigned part. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Likely a Jew. Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Now, I've pondered that this week. I don't know how you would even do that, and we'll just leave it there. <laughs> I'm not going to develop that, but let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Likely a Gentile. Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, no uncircumcision. Now, who's saying this? Paul. You remember who this guy is? This is a Jew of Jew that knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And then he adds at the end, but keeping the commandments of God. If you're a Jew, I think you'd argue circumcision was a commandment of God. It was a sign given to Abraham. As an adult, which is less pleasing of a thought to me, to be circumcised and to have the Jews as a symbol of their faith to be circumcised. Paul is now saying circumcision is nothing. Now, it wasn't nothing for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was a sign of God's covenant with Abraham and with the Jews, with the Israelites, I want you to do this as an expression of your faith and your connection to me. All the laws, you go back there. How many of you guys love reading through Leviticus? May I see the hands? <laughs> Have you seen all the laws there? Man, why there was a lot of laws. And God's intent in giving all those laws and giving circumcision was to say this. If you love me and if you trust me, that faith ought to be exhibited in the details of your life. That's the details of the law. If you love me, it's going to touch every part of who you are. There was another point to circumcision, particularly to the Mosaic law. 
You got to keep offering sacrifices because you're never quite covered because you keep sinning. To point to the day when there would be a sacrifice that would cover it all and then you wouldn't need any sacrifices anymore. Paul didn't understand this till he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. You remember the story and he went, uh-oh, I've been reading the Old Testament not very accurately. Jesus is the answer to circumcision to all those rules back there. And once you get Jesus, you don't need the rest of this stuff anymore. So don't hang on to these religious sorts of expression. These things which God used as a vessel to point to the treasure. Circumcision, all the Mosaic law was a vessel God was using to point to the treasure which is Jesus. Now, you remember Peter and Paul have a little debate about this after. And Paul gets after Peter. Anyway, you guys are with me thus far? What's that look like uh, today? For those of you who are older, you remember maybe when in evangelical Christianity, we used to have big arguments and debate about what kind of music is appropriate on Sundays. What is right? You younger people, there was a day when some argued there should never be drums or guitar in a worship service because everybody knows Jesus said you're supposed to use a pipe organ. <laughs> and the choir is supposed to wear robes. Everybody knows it's in the scripture somewhere. We have a little trouble finding it, but we know it's there. This is what the church was talking about. And they took this vessel issue and elevated. I'm going to tell you, I think there are two requirements to worship that pleases God. Jesus, from the, the, the account with the woman at the well, Jesus said, spirit and truth. For worship to be glorifying to God, you got to have an accurate view of God is, and it has to touch your heart. However that looks. There's almost nothing in Scripture about how that is supposed to look. But we can elevate that stuff and it becomes so important. There are some that think there's an appropriate response. Some of us move more on Sunday mornings than others. My wife has encouraged me that maybe I should move less. <laughs> now, she'll be sitting with me in the second service and uh, I'll tell you, there's times, again, I like rock music. Anybody here ever been to a rock music concert? Can you stand still? I cannot. There are times on Sunday morning when the band's up here playing something and then it touches my heart. The truth of the lyrics touches my head and I just can't stand still. That's cool with me if others worship God by standing still. It doesn't matter. This isn't a right or wrong issue. But let's not get this stuff. Make it a big deal. We want to get the truth of who Jesus is right. And we want that to touch our heart and however it comes out. Some people, it comes out like this. That's okay. When I'm feeling most in Christ's presence, when my worship is most intense, I cannot move and I cannot speak. If you were looking at me, most people would say he's not worshiping. But whatever this cultural issue is, we got all kinds of them. Dress. When I started preaching, I wore a suit. 
every Sunday morning. Now, about 10 minutes in, I'd take my jacket off and loosen my tie. I love California. <laughs> now, my wife doesn't love shorts with a long sleeve shirt. I'm okay with it. It's what I'm comfortable in. But we get this stuff, ethnicity, circumcision, uncircumcision. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, it's about Jesus. We're gonna talk about racism this summer. Will Robbins, many of you know him, our former youth pastor has, uh, is gonna share that message with me. We're gonna share it together. For those of you who don't know Will, he's uh, African-American. So we'll do that, I think, August 1st. But we'll talk about that one together. Where does ethnicity, Greek, Gentile, Jew, it doesn't matter, Paul says. Now I go beyond this to just even cultural issues. And I hesitate to go back here because it feels like to me we're mostly through it. Does any remember, remember there was an election last year? Does anybody remember COVID? I'm just going to tell you in terms of application, we're supposed to be salt and light in the world. We're to be embedded in culture. That's our value around here. But we don't want politics to become more important than Jesus. We don't want our citizenship of this United States to succeed our citizenship of Jesus. And we don't want a worldwide pandemic and our response to it to be more important than Jesus. And I'll tell you, it feels great to me <laughs> to not be talking nearly as much about politics or COVID. And Paul would say again, don't let our identity come from those things. Be involved, be salt and light. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is always the focal point. Then he moves to a second one. Don't be too focused on social or occupational status. First one is these religious issues don't go there. Just don't let little things become big things. Find your identity in Christ. I would say, not our job. It's the most clean application. Each one of you should remain in the condition in which he was called. Now, notice the condition here he's talking about primarily. I think it applies to marital status, all that other stuff. But here he's talking specifically about occupation. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called, when you came to faith in Christ? Now, bondservant, this is a word that is in the original Greek, doulos. And it gets translated in different ways for different reasons, one of which I think is just cultural, how we understand this today. If you look in the King James Version from 1611, this word would be translated servant. If you look at the King James Version today, the new one, it would be slave. We're reading from the ESV that was modified, English Standard Version, in 2016. It says bondservant. If you look at the original ESV that came out in 201, it says slave. Now, the word is the same word, and I think sometimes we get really excited about servant, bondservant, and slave. Even bondservant. The etymology of that word, you guys get it? is a servant in bonds. 
a servant bound. So here's my encouragement. It's the lowest person on the occupational status pole. And it's somebody owned by somebody else where they have very few rights and very almost no status in the world. Everybody with me here? You prefer servants? Part of the reason I think we go to bond server rather than slave because in our culture, slave has egregious negative overtones that I hold. You understand? But Paul's point here is not primarily about slavery. It's about where we find our identity. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Now look at this. He goes to the lowest on the status pole there is. There's the point, however you want to translate that word. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. I'm just telling you, if I were a slave and somebody told me not to be concerned about it, I would find that challenging. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Quit being a slave. Quit being a bondservant. That would be a good thing. But that's not my primary point. That's not what I'm primarily writing about. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave or a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Whatever your status in the world, you're a child of God and you belong to him. Find your identity in Jesus, in your relationship with God, not in your occupation. Likewise, he who was free, not a slave occupationally when called, is actually a bondservant or a slave of Christ. Again, here's his point. Let's find our identity in our relationship with Jesus, not in our occupation. I've talked about this several times before. God created us to look for significance and security. He wants us to find that ultimately in our relationship with him. As human beings, we're trying to find it in relationship with other people. We have all kinds of ways of ranking people and ourselves against them. Do you know some people think height is better than not having height? Now, if you're a racehorse owner, I am not actually that high on the status pole. You understand? There are not many race car, uh, racehorse owners that are going, hey, that Todd, we think he would be a good jockey. <laughs> Some of you already are thinking, you have sympathy for a horse. Should I ever get on one? <laughs> physical beauty, physical conditioning, the car we drive, the house we own. Now, I'm going to tell you, it still feels like in our culture, a big one, occupation. Big three when I was a kid, lawyer, doctor, and successful business owner, somebody that was a corporate executive. I think Paul's saying here, let's not find our identity 
in that. Find your identity in me. That's where your identity is to be found. I've met pastors that introduce themselves by pastor to me. Some that have introduced themselves as reverend. Some that introduce themselves as doctor. Is it inappropriate? I don't know. I wonder why they do that. You know who I am? And I'm with you and you introduce me to friends? Here's my preference. Todd. Mostly because as soon as non-Christians find out I'm a pastor, it changes they will relate to me like I can't relate to them at all. And they get a little uncomfortable. I'm actually reverent. I've got the credentials. I don't have diplomas on my wall. I got them. I, I couldn't even tell you where they are. Now, lest you think I'm still not prone to this temptation, if somebody thought I was an associate pastor rather than the senior, how would I feel? And if I'm around a bunch of pastors and we talk talking about church attendance on Sunday morning and they go, yeah, I got uh, 32,000 people every weekend. How would I feel? So don't hear me suggesting that I don't still wrestle with looking for success and status in this world either. But Jesus is saying, if you're a slave... You're a free man in me. This relationship with me is everything. Don't look to find your identity. He's going to go on. He's going to say, appreciate the cost and consequences of our salvation. After all that, he says, you were bought with a price. So do not become bondservants of men. I think he means that literally and figuratively. Find your identity in me, not in trying to compare yourself with other people as to whether you're a success or not. If you're in me, you're a child of God. There's nothing better. That is it. You were bought with a price. You Corinthians and maybe you RCCers, you're not quite appreciating what it costs the Father for us to be children of God. When we get what God the Father paid in the death of his son, we go, we are valuable. We are important. The world may look at us and think we're fools, but we're actually really important to God. That's where we find our identity. Enjoy God and display God's love wherever you are. He began this paragraph by saying this, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, get the sovereignty piece, and to which God has called him. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. So brothers, here's how he ended that paragraph. In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain to God. <laughs> the focus is on God. Now, here's what Paul is not saying. He's not saying slavery is good. 
He's not primarily talking about slavery. He is not endorsing slavery. Just not his primary point. I think he's not saying never change our occupation. I don't think he's saying never go for a promotion. I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's saying never change our marital status. If you're single, you shouldn't get married if the Lord directs. I don't think he's saying that. And I don't think he's saying you should never move from a different neighborhood to a different house to a different community to a different state. I don't think that's what he's saying. Here's what I think he is saying. Our relationship with Jesus should be the most dominant factor, force, influence in all of our decisions and relationships. That's what he's saying. Our identity in Christ is the key to our occupation. Should I switch jobs, change jobs? How would it influence my experience of Jesus and my ability to promote his name to those who need to meet him? Marriage. Getting married better for me will I have a fuller experience of Jesus' love? Be able to promote his love more fully? If not, again, go back to next week. Paul was a big fan of remaining single. We're going to deal with that again next week. He's going back to it, where we live. Where can I experience God? Where will I most be able to promote his goodness? Not these other factors being primarily determining in my decision-making process, but my experience with Jesus. And our relationship with Jesus should fill us and flow out of us wherever we are in our life. Here's what Paul's saying. This is old, old adage. It feels a little funny to be using it. But let's bloom where God planted us. But bloom. Bloom. Wherever we are, experience him and express that to others. Wherever we are. Now, I want to finish with this. Got different definitions here of holy discontentment. You'll see it here. Holy discontentment. I think God wants us to live with a holy discontentment. And when he talks about staying where you are, he's not saying don't have a holy discontent. Holy discontentment. The discontentment that flows from seeing how broken the world is and from how broken I am and yet what is possible in Christ. Paul's a big fan of us moving forward, what we call around here ongoing spiritual transformation. He's not saying stay in the same place, but here's where our discontent is rooted. The world is broken and hurting and messed up, and Jesus is the answer, and we have the answer. How can I more fully experience that individually, and how can I help other people experience? I am constantly, and I think he wants us to be constantly wrestling with that. Unholy discontentment. The discontentment that flows from my desire to have my occupation, marital staffs, and other circumstances provide more happiness than God ever intended for them. You know, if I can only get that bigger house, I'll be happy. If only I can get married, I'll be happy. I told you two weeks ago, those who believe if you, all your problems will be solved by getting married, go talk to some married people. <laughs> there are married people I know who think all their problems would be solved if they weren't married. Now, to both of those, Paul is saying, don't find your identity there. Find it in Jesus and bloom wherever you are. And then I think there's an unholy contentment, can be. 
In our world of entertainment, I feel like this might be a big one. The contentment rooted in the status quo, not longing for the deeper, more lasting joy that is available in Jesus. Do you know how many shows that we can watch on Netflix and Amazon and all Hulu and all these other places? We could park our rear end on the couch and be entertained for 15 hours a day. I must be content in Jesus. Look at how I can switch from TV show to TV show and just be happy. How good is God to me? I don't think that's actually. Now, watching the PGA for four hours on a Sunday (laughs) is a different matter. So don't you be going and applying that to all that stuff. Because there are some things that stimulate spiritual growth. And watching the major golf tournaments is one of those. Lest you want to critique. And then uh, holy uh, contentment. The contentment that flows from being overwhelmed with the love of Jesus and his presence and involvement in all the circumstances and relationships in my life. It ain't easy. I have things I'd like different in every area of my life. Some of it's holy discontent. More of it than I'd like at 62 is still unholy discontent. What it does is keep driving me back to Jesus. Lord, help me see you more clearly. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Ask God to reveal where you have this unholy contentment or unholy discontent. Ask God to move in your life to help you see Jesus more fully. And here's one of the best things I do is hang with those who... uh, in whose lives I see a holy contentment. It just rubs off. We got life groups for the summer. Sign up if you're looking for some connections. We've got something in a hike for the women. What is it? Say it again. Uh, what's the name of it? Hang and hike. And if you don't want to hike, which would be my option if I were a woman, I would just go for the hanging and eating part. And you're welcome to do that. But hang hang and hike or just hang. I think everybody's got different options and, and go through this. But hanging with people that encourage us on this road. Father, you are good. We want our identity to always be found in you. And this is a journey that so often is not that easy. You've given us a lot of stuff in this world to provide us happiness. I pray that you would help us to enjoy those things that you've put into life, the stuff and the people, in the way that uh, you intend for us to find joy in them. But help us not to look for too much. For those of us that feel like we're successful, may our identity not be too rooted in the success. For those thinking we professionally have not been that successful, Father, I pray that our identity would be in you wherever we find ourselves, Father. May our identity always and our happiness be found in you.